Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member M. Ledyard shares her path from working in corporate development at International Paper and moving up the ranks to her transition to investment banking. In part two of this two-part episode, Megan shares her experience as an associate in investment banking, how she survived without prior banking experience, and two key tips for having a successful career. Enjoy. So, okay, so it ended up working out and you clearly got an offer and you started at Morgan Stanley. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that that path and the promotion, you know, you ended up getting promoted. Tell me about the competitiveness of that and just the hours and the grueling nature of it and how you how you feel or why you feel like you were successful. So much there to unpack mm-hmm. um, in all of your questions. So I'll start at the beginning. I had interviewed for both the New York and the Chicago office. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I wasn't going to get two offers. They were going to decide amongst themselves. And so Morgan Stanley Chicago extended me the offer. Yep. I actually clearly remember having a conversation with my former head of uh, global corporate development. And he interrupted me when I told him I had an offer from Morgan Stanley. And he goes, you had an offer from Morgan Stanley and you haven't accepted it yet? And I said, no, 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 I'm really excited. Um, but you told me to focus on New York and this is Chicago and I still have follow-ups with Goldman Industrials New York. He said, Meg, I would not take Goldman Industrials New York over Morgan Stanley Chicago. I said, seriously? He goes, yeah. He goes, that's the best, he goes, that's the best offer people are trying to get when he was in business school. Mm-hmm. And he goes, we can talk more about it later. He had to go to another meeting. <laughs> He's like, just take so it. So it's a yeah. little bit of blind, pardon? He's like, just take it already. Yeah. Okay. So take it. Come yeah. on. You've got a good offer. Go mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. Uh, but it was a little bit of blind leap of faith. I hadn't talked to a lot of people from Morgan Stanley mm-hmm. through my recruiting process, but I knew they had a good reputation. They have yeah. a very strong Chicago Booth Network. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were going to have me start in New York. And I thought, okay, that's great. I can get to know the firm in New York. I spent six months in New York. Morgan Stanley is unique in how it onboards its associates. So we sit in a generalist pool structure. Okay. which means for those based in New York, they get to work with a variety of different teams and then they go through a separate placement process. And I think that's fabulous. And we did something very similar in Chicago because we have a variety of different industry groups in Chicago. Yep. And it, you know, it's one thing to go grab a coffee with somebody and feel like you connect with them. It's something totally different to work on a very stressful project with that person and with that team and go, okay, I can fit in here. Mm-hmm. I get how they operate. Every coverage group, every product group is different. 
So how much in that six so, months, like how much of a taste do you actually get though across all those groups? Is it like typically two or three? Like, and it's just random. Oh man, it totally depends person to person. Yeah. Um, some summer associates who come in a full-time associate, some of them know they want to work in media comms and yeah. like that is their jam. Okay. So they may have, and, and hopefully the media comms group also feels the same way about them. Yeah. Um, you know, but if that's the case, they may work almost exclusively and then they'll have to pick up other projects because there's so much that goes down to the pool. Yeah. Um, other people are really just trying to stay open and they could work with, you know, seven or eight groups over the course of their summer and then the fall. Um, but pretty quickly, people find their fit. Um, what was really interesting to me is my friends from Booth went in and like, these two are focused on M&A and the next two were focused on, you know, a media comms or consumer retail, so on and so forth. So my pool class had 20 generalists for New York mm-hmm. and all but one, their number one preferences changed throughout the fall. Everyone got what they wanted, but it was not the same as what they wanted when they came in. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Do you feel yeah. like that was because maybe when they started, it was just they didn't know as much and it was more stressful in the initial deals <laughs> they did, and then they got better? Or do you feel like, I don't know, why do you think that is? That's surprising to me that it was so few or one, only one. No, I think what I observed is everyone that was there for the summer was yep. completely focused on getting an offer. Right. And it was, I'll take anything, I'll do anything. Right. Let me know how I can be helpful. And you're certainly trying to get to know the teams, but there's just, your guard is up um, mm-hmm. because they want to make a good impression. Yep. And now that you have the full-time offer and you're able to kind of like take a deep breath and actually work on projects and get to know people better, I think they start to find their fit um, in a little bit more, a little bit more of an honest way, a little bit more of a natural way. Yeah. Um, and every pool class is different, for sure. Can you tell but, me uh, a little bit about, can you, can you talk to a little bit about coming from a corp dev and strategy background? Do you feel like mm-hmm. the analysts were, I know when I was at Rothschild, did, were the analysts kind of, you know, there was a little bit of a tension between the analysts and the associates, especially the associates who hadn't done banking before. Did you mm-hmm. feel that right. where you came in and you felt like, okay, oh my gosh, these analysts are running circles around me in the model and it's tough to manage them? Or was there a good, were the, were the analysts really helpful to you? Yeah. It went both ways. Mm-hmm. There were certainly analysts that we, I felt a great amount of tension with. Mm-hmm. And there are other analysts that were incredibly helpful to me. Okay. What was, one thing that I really liked about what we did at Morgan Stanley, particularly in the Chicago office, Mm-hmm. is for the first couple of months, the associates would operate without an analyst. And that was really to push them to do the modeling, spread the comps, to pull the data, to That's really smart. understand fundamentally where everything comes from. Yeah. Um, and to really ensure that those technical skills are, are sound. And, you know, my, all of my friends across food had different experiences in different banks. Mm-hmm. What that amounted to me at Morgan Stanley was you have some very, very technically sound bankers mm-hmm. because those associates are much more confident and they are much more capable um, and effective than when, with the analysts as they then move forward. And it's not perfect, um, but if you are not technically sound at Morgan Stanley, you won't make it. Right. It's just... Did you it, feel like that time, was, was that enough time for you to feel confident when you were given an analyst? 
I would say that I <laughs> I purposely took longer, so there are different projects that I would take and say, no, I want to do this one on my own. Got it. Um, Got it. I'm also, I'm a person that I, I really like operating in my spreadsheet, I'm not going to lie. It's my, little, <laughs> my little comfort zone. You enjoyed it. Okay. Um, you really did enjoy it. So I probably, where other people might have taken like three to four months, Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I stayed on, I mean, I started getting in off at that same time, mm-hmm. but I would still look for projects if I could do it on my own, particularly with the VP that I really liked. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I actually really had to push myself to do, I'm a person that unless I know like 90% of it, I'm not comfortable. Right. And what I learned how to do over time was to say, okay, I'm 60 to 70% comfortable with it. Great. Let's move forward. Right. Um, so that there's there are two parts of that learning curve, if you will. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. So okay, so tell me a little bit about the the actual progression and you know, associate one, second year, third year. Was there yeah. pressure? Was there like you knew it sounded like you wanted to stay, right? So you're you're going for the <laughs> VP promotion, right? So you're tell yeah. tell me a little bit about that whole dynamic. Is it because um, we don't hear a lot about that on on Wall Street Oasis? I'd love to hear just the stress of the job for the associates that we get so much of the analyst side. I'd love to hear the associate side. Yeah. It is intense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's banking. Um, everyone has pressure and it just changes. It evolves as you evolve with banks. So for me as an associate that did not come from an investment banking background, mm-hmm. there were step changes in the job almost every six months. So the first six months, you're like, running around with your hair on fire. You don't really know what you're doing. You're trying to make sure that everything is, is perfect, no errors. People are getting what they need in a timely fashion. And what I chose to do, and I communicated this with my family and my friends, to say, look, you know, two years in business school, and then it's truly a year of, if you want to call it, residency or internship or something. <laughs> because yeah. banking, you don't, you don't learn it out of a book. Right. You, you know this. You've been there. Yeah. Um, it is all on the desk training. And, you know, I spent a lot of time with my family before I started and kind of made that investment, you know, put a lot of <laughs> chips in the bank, if you will. Yeah. Um, and my friends knew me and they kind of said, look, I know you're going to cancel me a lot. It's OK, but I'll always try to make the plan. Tell me about so your first six months. Let's stop there for a second. Tell me about your personal life at this point. Were you... Um... I don't even know. Were you married at that point? Where did you, did you have close friends that were in Chicago that you were trying to kind of build relationships with, or tell me, were you still friends with like your Ohio State, you know, people? What, what was that like yeah. in terms of personal side? Personal side. So I have three guys, mm-hmm. and they are my brothers from another mother. <laughs> cool. Um, and two of them, I mean, I literally have now, like I had brunch with their kids last week and like okay. the other two, I'm moving back from New York. Um, so they are the guys that I went through investment banking recruiting with. Uh-huh. Um, and I also have a lot of really close friends from, from business school. Very cool. So this, my close friends understood that the first year or two of my career, that, you know, that, that's what I was going to do. I was going to invest in the job mm-hmm. and I was going to do everything I could with the job. And, you know, that can only last for so long, mm-hmm. to be frank about that. Yeah. But um, th- there was a lot of openness about that. And so I got a lot of flack from my family and I got a lot of flack from my friends. Mm-hmm. But the promise that I did make is that when I was with them, I was fully present. That's so, tough to do. That's tough with Christmas. your with your phone. It's attached. really hard to do. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but that's also if I'm in the middle of a live deal and it's Saturday at dinner, you know, if we would have just sent the book out to the MD, I know that I can take two to three hours to go to dinner. Right. right? Yeah. Now, when I got up to use the restroom, I might have taken my phone and just to check email. <laughs> but I Nothing back, urgent. I was fully present. Got it. That's fair. Okay, so you're you're going through this. You kind of have put in the the investment to your family, to your friends. You're you're basically, and this is you're in Chicago, correct? So for for these three plus years. For the first six months, I was yeah. It for the first six months, yeah, I was in New York. But then you quit. You tell me about that. Why did they go to? Why did you move to Chicago or go to Chicago? Well. That's the plan. The I guess that's, that's how it works. Okay. Got was, it. You know, that our, our starting class was, was mainly sitting in New York. Okay. So I said, go sit with your class. Build, building their, the relationships with Morgan Stanley is really important. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Chicago office invested in us and having us stay in New York for six months, which was really wonderful. Um, and it, I can definitely see how it helped me along the way with my career. Great. And then the next six months back in Chicago, now I kind of, my quadrant of I don't know what I don't know got smaller. Mm-hmm. But now it was, okay, now I, now more work comes on because now you're more efficient. You can get things going um, and kind of really started to move through that learning curve. And I could tell I was getting put on larger, more complex deals because there was an element of trust. Yep. And so that's where kind of like the second six months really shifted. And then I get into the third six months, and what I noticed is every deal that came through, I had um, an analyst on it, on everything. I may have had like a summer associate come through, and it was really pushing much more on the project management side of that. And I was, when I say I was getting analysts on things, I was getting the good analysts. (laughs) I was getting the analysts where I wasn't going to have to go through sell by sell in their Excel to fix it. That's nice. Um, it it makes a, important. makes a big difference on your and life was, too, I'm sure. <laughs> it makes a huge difference. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and then through so that third six months was really about project management. It was about we had a new class of analysts starting. They needed to be trained on modeling and comps and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. They needed to kind of understand here's how the workflow is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and really sitting down and being helpful with them. It's, and again, each bank is different. Um, sometimes they will spend for themselves in our office. That was really important to have the, to have a really strong bullpen morale. Cause when it's not it's horrible for everybody. Um, yeah, agreed. <laughs> so yeah, but, and for me, there's the last, the last four, the last six months. So kind of get to the end of the two year time frame. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started going to meetings regularly. I had clients that I covered. I was assigned to accounts. There were people within the account that I was supposed to try to maintain connectivity with. And from that juncture, then I go into my third year as an associate getting ready for VP promote. Um, And I remember getting hounded one day by one of my MDs. Mm -hmm. Um, We were getting ready for a board meeting. It was a thick, intense book, which is never usually what you do for a board meeting, but this was for a specific deal. And she grilled into me and she finally found an error on one of my 60 pages. And I... (laughs) take that very personally. Yeah. <laughs> so she caught me the next day. Yeah. And she's like, I know you're mad at me. And I'm like, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at myself. Mm-hmm. And and she tried to explain something to me. And I'm like, okay, I get it. And she's like, no, no, no. And she tried to explain it a different way. I said, like, hey, I get it. It's fine. And then she said to me, 
I'm not going to treat you like an associate when you're functioning as a VP. Mm-hmm. You should be treated like a VP. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, and so that's sometimes how you look at that VP progression. It kind of just happens over a course of time, but it really it comes with your MDs trusting you. Mm-hmm. Um, and your MDs kind of saying, I know if I give it to her, it's going to be done right. People are going to be cool. Life is going to be good. And so that that kind of that moment in time when your MD, she was really kind of upset with you kind of, but that, that phone call kind of opened your eyes a little bit because she was like, you know, I know you're mad cause I lost my temper or whatever it was, but it was almost like it opened your eyes saying, okay, wait a second, but I'm doing something right. And I have a path here. Is that, yeah. is that what you're saying there? And I would be totally fair. Yeah. yeah the MD did not lose her temper at all. Oh, okay. I mean, she's, she just pointed out a mistake. She just pointed out a mistake and it made you feel like, ah, like frustrated. I should have seen that or whatever. Yeah. And MDs, MDs that don't lose their temper. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of have more of a quiet tone and they look at you kind of out of the corner of their eye. They slow down. Picking at you. You're like, I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. It's more about like, you knew you screwed up and you like them so much, you don't want to screw up. And so I right. was more, I was mad at myself. I was not mad at her. Right. Um, but again, she is, she is one of those MDs that really care. Um, she's very good at her job. Yeah. Um, so you wanted, you wanted to do well for her. So tell me, and so it was kind of a foregone conclusion that you were going to get the promotion. Um, and tell me about, um, a little, let's talk a little bit about pay. Was it, I mean, we already kind of know the pay structure, but um, were the years getting better yeah. as business picked up and as you started getting put on larger deals? No, to be fair, mm-hmm. um, pay never really materialized where I expected. Mm-hmm. And even in the years that you made top bucket, you're like, that's top bucket. <laughs> okay. That's surprising okay. to hear. Right. That's surprising to hear. Um, I know. So, yeah, I mean, I know we have a ton of data on, on banking typically I, I assume first year associate you're coming to school what is it the base like 125 130 or 150 now i don't even know they, um, they switched it so yeah. we got a bump midway through like we started at 100 and we we're supposed to move to 125 yeah and i think they moved us to like 150 we got some retroactive right um and then for associate pay you move up 25 and the bulges you move up twenty five thousand each year right so, so by your, your third, third year, year as an associate it's yeah. It's like 200 um, and whatever, 225 or I'm something. I'm sorry? It's 220. If you're at 150, it's, it's 225 by your third year for base. Yeah, whatever whatever ended up to being, um, it was that. And then at the officer level, everyone's at 250 and stays there. Got it. And then the bonus, um, the ranges, was it around 80% of base or 80% of base all the way up to 150% of, of base? Is that fair in terms of the range? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's. And then, as you get into the officer levels, then some of that's going to be deferred. Got it. And was that right. new? It's not all cash coming in. Was that new? Pardon? Was that new? Was that something new where they had deferred? Mm. Or deferred no, the, no, I actually got. I started getting deferred um, in my third year as an associate. And talk to me about that. What is? How does that work in terms of deferred? Meaning, like it's in options. It's in. Um, a bonus they can claw back what what how is what form did that take yeah it's um of mine half went into cash half went into company stock oh, okay and then i think the vet the vesting schedule was three years 
Oh, wow. That's uh, some golden handcuffs there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Yeah, so you're not seeing nearly yes, as much, is. not nearly as much cash comp. Okay, so you're, but you're, you're doing well for yourself, but you're working really hard for it. Um, the hours are what, 70 to yeah. 70 to 70 plus, I assume, um, if you're a top associate. Well, then when you put travel on top of that, it kind of depends on how you travel. Um, yeah. So typically I would be in the office sometime between 9 and 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, on a good night, uh, well, early year associate to late year. Okay, so first year associate, um, I usually try to get into the office by 9. Yeah. And then I was averaging leaving between midnight and 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then I would typically work um, a full day on the weekend, I might have split it up between Saturday and Sunday. Okay. Um, but I would do that. I remember there was a period of time in my A1 year where I worked, I think it was every day from like July 4th to Labor Day. Oh my um, gosh. That was intense. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, like weekends were not 12 hour days. Right. Just, Only five like or that. six. Only five or six. <laughs> Yeah, no, well, I know. Even as an talk analyst, a lot about people talk a lot about hundred-hour weeks, and so I want to. I'd like to be able to kind of clear something up here. Yeah, it, let's exclude the travel here for a second. A mm-hmm. hundred-hour week is incredibly intense, and it also assumes that you are at your desk actually working. Yeah, um, right, not taking the coffee breaks, not like going down to the gym for an hour, so on and so forth. But yeah. in my well, you're on year, you're on I call. Might have worked. You're on call 24-7, but you're working, actually working maybe 70 hours, but you're, you're in the office maybe 85. That's the problem, <laughs> right? I mean. No, there are times, yeah, but there are times that you do get up to $100 work weeks, but they are rare. Yeah. They are truly rare. Yeah. Um, I would say by the end of my A3, I would usually be able to be in the office between 9 to 10, and then I would leave ideally between 7 and 8. And then I might have a little bit more work to do at home. Mm-hmm. And then as I started traveling more, that in a way it got better, but it got worse. Right. So it was, you're on the road, you're leaving home at 4.30 in the morning to catch a 6 a.m. flight. Ugh. You're not really getting back home, maybe until 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. Um, and you're trying to find ways to review books and, and so on and so forth in between. Mm-hmm. But there's also more freedom and more intellectual curiosity, more intellectual challenge that comes along with it. So the hours never really, quote, unquote, get better. Right. But I enjoyed more of them. I enjoyed it more when I was traveling rather than just sitting in the office. That's fair. And so you, you kind of were getting a little more of that intellectual um, intellectual curiosity. You could you could think a little bit more rather than just be grinding in the model and, and think about managing your team exactly. and reviewing the books and so totally. when that promotion came, tell me what was the thought process? Was it like, is it a big celebration? Is it is it expected and kind of, uh, you know, not that big of a deal for you? Or did you feel like, hey, this is some this is somewhere I'm going to be for a very long time and somewhere to, you know, international papers, somewhere you could see yourself being potentially there forever and potentially getting up to MD? Absolutely. I would say for me, it was somewhat expected. Mm-hmm. And I think for most, they're, you're given a heads up maybe at the end of your A3 year, like if things aren't working out. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of client responsibility I had been given. So it was, man, if this doesn't come through, something is really wrong. <laughs> um, 
Like you were too key, you were too of, critical at that point. You knew that like they couldn't just say bye to you. Um, they, they you were going to get the. Oh promotion. no no no! That, <laughs> we're all replaceable. Yeah. <laughs> we are all replaceable. But but you've developed um, but you had developed relationships with key clients, right? So. Not I would say that it would be awkward. It would be awkward. Right? It would be okay. awkward if I just kind of got pulled out. Right. But trust me. Um, it's happened. Lots of different things happen. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but no, I, as a VP, you're still very replaceable, <laughs> uh, just to be clear. Um, no, but I think for me, it was an opportunity to step back and say, okay, eight or a year is, um, it's, they're all hard. Okay. Yeah. They're just, they're hard in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I've gotten a little bit more of a taste of VP. I was ready to, you know, kind of evaluate it over the first, you know, three or four months and seeing how it goes. And as I really start to see more of what the MD role looks like, you know, the kimono gets opened a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I did, I doubled down. Um, and it was, I was very excited about that career to managing director. I had two really fantastic mentors and they had pulled me onto their book of business. Mm-hmm. And um, there were times that it was just, it was really hard. Um, we were thinly staffed in Chicago. So as a VP, you didn't always get an associate. Yeah. Um, so that first six months as a VP can be a really tough transition because you're trying to do the VP job, but you're, all being, you're having to do the associate job. So you're trying to make sure you get a good analyst who can do the <laughs> analyst job and also part of the associate job. So you can kind of like bridge the gap there. Right. And um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a fantastic experience, but you know the reason it was so fantastic is because I got to work with really great people. I had wonderful clients, and Morgan Stanley got tons of resources. Um, so tell so me, tell they, me why they expect the tra- a lot out of you, but they give you what you need to do your job. Tell me about the transition to New York. Why I jumped to New York? Then was it just a better place to be as a VP, or like, what did did they want you there? What was the thought process there? Mine was was totally personal. So my okay. significant other had just gotten back from um, a tour in Afghanistan, oh, and wow. he was reacclimating into reacclimating into life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not want to go back to his job in Louisville, Kentucky. And J.P. Morgan has a fantastic veterans um, integration program, internship program. Okay. So he earned a role with J.P. Morgan in New York, and. Um, one of my two mentors was based in New York and he had consistently asked me, when are you moving to New York? <laughs> when are you moving to New York? Uh, and had done that for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so when I, I checked in with him and said, Hey, um, Sam's got a job in New York. Mm-hmm. He said, Oh, great. We can do, you know, da, 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 da. Like, <laughs> he's like, it's going to He's like, you're here I, I tomorrow. Need to go ask <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I need to go ask permission, see if I can if my Chicago team will let me move to New York. Right. Um, but, you know, with Morgan Stanley is fantastic. Within two weeks, they said, absolutely. You know, we just had to go do all the paperwork and yeah. it was ready to go. So, okay, so you get to New York. Is it the culture very different in between the offices? Can you talk to me a little bit about that? And then specifically kind of what changed? Did something change where you felt like, okay, this may not be for me and I want to kind of change, have this change of direction, go work for a smaller firm and back to Corp Dev? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Um, so what I say as part of the global consumer retail team, I really do mean it was it was truly global in nature. Mm-hmm. So there were deals that I worked on, the clients that I covered, where there were bankers from offices all over the world. 
Mm-hmm. So when I moved to New York, it was like, just, you know, when you wrap the computer instead of a different desk, I did on all of my clients. Um, because again, I had one MD that I worked with that was based in New York and then the others were based in Chicago mm-hmm. and it was a very fluid team. Um, and I would say for me, because it was really, I was part of the consumer retail team, we had kind of one common culture, kind of, I would say somewhat across all of the offices, but Chicago and New York are very well interconnected. Yeah. I would say sitting in the New York office, there's a lot that goes on in New York. So there's more opportunities to participate in some of the more firm-wide events, which is great as you're just continuing to build your relationships inside the firm. Yep. Um, and then to answer your question in terms of, okay, you, get, you moved to New York, you guys are both there. Um, you know, for me, I had two mentors leave the firm. And I had worked with them very closely for the prior three, four years. Right. And as I started to look around and transitioning over, those accounts kind of got, you know, scattered across different MDs. And in a sense, almost kind of rebuilding to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. I kind of oh. looked up and said, you know, I really enjoyed this job. Um, and some of the favorite people that I've, I've worked with have kind of moved on and out of curiosity, what did what did working with? Out of curiosity, what did they do? Why did they why did they leave? Was there all different? I'm sure it was different, but there was two specifically that were like your MD, your mentors. You know, was it something mm-hmm. where they jumped to other banks? Was it something where they just personally said, "I'm retiring" or, or other things? Yeah, they did. They did choose to move to other banks, oh, um, mm-hmm. and they had different reasons for for choosing to move to other banks. Got it. And um, were they trying to pull, they pull you? Or were they trying to pull you it with them? Banks. Were they trying to pull you with them? Uh, they could not. They had a, a no hiring cause. Uh, um, and banks enforced that pretty closely. I think I think both of them had two year hiring can't touch. Makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. so they couldn't recruit you, they couldn't bring you over. Um, and so but you and you felt I, I this makes perfect sense to you. You're sitting there, you're your two main mentors are now gone. Your your clients are mm-hmm. kind of scattering across all the other MDs. So tell me about this the the thought process in terms of just how you regrouped and wh- how did you start kind of looking and what were you looking for? And why not go to another bank? Um, it, the, the why not go to another bank is actually really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I seriously have nothing but fantastic things to say at Morgan Stanley, mm-hmm. and I. I was fortunate to obviously work with a lot of other banks in terms of co-advising. Mm-hmm. And obviously I had friends from business school who went to literally every other bank on the street. And I felt as a banker that I was treated very well at Morgan Stanley. And I just could not imagine going through that, getting to know a firm and kind of Building learning where all the resources are and yeah. trying to integrate into a different culture. Yeah, Banking was hard. No doubt about it. Banking was hard. Mm-hmm. But I looked at the way that I was treated relative to how my peers were treated. And as hard as banking is, I also didn't want to compound it with cultures that I did not feel were nearly as good as Morgan Stanley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Okay. And so then um, how did you look at your next opportunities? Were you, were you, obviously, something in M&A makes a lot of sense. <laughs> something yeah. kind of, you're, you're getting back <laughs> to your roots. And um, so, yeah, and tell me about all of that. Yeah. I had to unbelievably supportive group heads. And so 
when it came to the conversation of like, what's next? Mm -hmm. I kind of said, you know, I think it's probably time for me to look for something outside the firm. And they were like, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like kind of getting into VT3 year. Do you want to do this? The, you know, the EV role is very different or evolved to be very different from a VP role. Um, and I really like you said, sorry, you said the ED executive director, you mean? director thank you yes yeah you know, okay yeah some banks call it SCP. something yeah banks okay call it just director yeah okay Morgan fair enough executive director. i like yeah. executive director i like that <laughs> so <laughs> so you were kind of you're you had that kind of lined up and they're saying are you sure you want to leave you have potentially mm-hmm. much more you know you could build this business and you could i assume make um a lot of money but at this point probably money isn't your biggest concern you know you've done well and you probably have enough so yeah, tell me what's 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 kind of the the thing that's motivating you in terms of what your the next job and where did you even look or who did you talk to? Yeah, well, one what motivated me it goes back to what I shared earlier, mm-hmm. way 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 back into undergrad. I like math, I like problem solving, and I need to be intellectually challenged. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that I've picked up over the fifteen years of work experience that I now have is culture really matters. Your supervisor really matters. Um, your mentors, um, you know, everything kind of around you really matters. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to take that and say, okay, let's take a step back. I never really did the, you know, find yourself searching business school like a lot of other people did. Yeah. Um, and Morgan Stanley was incredibly helpful. Um, a, a lot of the senior bankers I worked with opened up their Rolodex and said, happy to connect you. What are you thinking? What industries? Where do you want to go? So on and so forth. Um, And they allowed a lot of freedom to me in my job search. So I did the big take a step back. Um, You know, what interests me in the long run? CFO role to me is still very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I know that I love M&A. And um, so I took an opportunity. Um, I have a very, very, very supportive, significant other. He said, go figure it out. And, and then we'll figure it out. That's great. So I knew that I was going to stay in the U.S., yeah. so at least near the geography there. Yeah. Um, but I went out to the West Coast, and I met with a bunch of startups who were looking for heads of FP&A and kind of that pre-CFO role. Yeah. Um, you know, I looked across the rest of the U.S. in terms of, you know, different size companies, mm-hmm. private companies, public companies, Um M&A role, other kind at, of financial. I knew I wanted to be in finance. At the level that you were at, a VP and, at, an uh, invest, at a top investment bank, I'm surprised were you, you, you know, I would think you could step right into a CFO role. Um, is that Was that not the case at some of the startups? Or you were looking at slightly larger startups in like Series C that had kind of the, the finance function built out already? Yeah, I was looking at a Series C. Series C, um, okay, yeah. There were, some, there were some companies that were just getting into a Series B yeah. So they were going to have to hire a CFO. Right. And I just didn't have that risk appetite yet. Got it. Um, and having had enough firms who've gone through either starting their own companies or joining things that have gone Series D and on up, if I'm going to step into a CFO role, I want to be decently qualified for it. Right. Mm-hmm. I've kind of gotten out of my, I got to know 90% of it to be good. <laughs> um you know, but there's an element of, you know, treasury that I understand. There's an element of investor relations I understand. There's a, a corporate controllership closing the books, month in close that I understand. 
Um, but there's also an element of, okay, you have not operated inside of a startup before. Right. And the way they do things is different. So it's looking for that opportunity kind of in the right startup. Mm-hmm. And um, something that was not, something that had enough, um, had enough runway and a business model and a culture and a, where I kind of align with the beliefs. Yeah. Um, and I realized that I wanted to be either in the Midwest or stay in New York. And right. so therefore, if you're looking at startups and you're not ready to be on the West Coast, your funnel gets quite small. Fair. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, an opportunity came up. I, there were uh, many of my clients were unbelievably helpful. In fact, a couple of them came and said, I wish I would have known you were looking in the fourth quarter. Like, we just filled a job. And, and I was like, no, it's great. Um, <laughs> but Tell me a little that bit about like helpful. the interview process at these more senior roles where you know you're you're interviewing mm-hmm. for senior FP&A managers, directors of M&A. I I'd assume that it was it would be more just fit and culture and how you manage people. Totally. Is that is that accurate? That is accurate. You're telling um, me they're not asking you what happens with the three statements when depreciation goes up by $10? <laughs> I think some of the people that were interviewing me probably didn't know the answer to that yeah. question. And they are incredibly intelligent people, by the way. Yeah, right? But um, that's, they, they hire people to do that. And they hire people to manage people to hire people to do that. Right. To be fair. <laughs> fair enough. Now, well, it, you know, they're going to want to understand your view. If the dollar is strengthening against the euro and right. you have a factory in Japan that is shipping into the U.K., Yep. They're going to want to have you talk through that piece of it, which I can't do right now. I, I have to study it again. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's a little bit more of a macro view of the, the business as a whole, which makes sense. So no, anything else? That it's important, yeah. as I realized. Yeah. They're not just interviewing you for that job. Mm-hmm. They're interviewing to see what you can do in the job after that and the job after that. So That's great. They need you to fill a certain role. Mm-hmm. And you should already have the resume to know that you've got 50, 75% of what you need for that role. Yep. They want to know where you can stretch and they want to understand what your long-term interests are and do your values align with the values of that organization. So often I was not being interviewed for that job. I was being interviewed for the next job and so on and so forth. And how did you think of uh, prep, interview prep for this, these senior roles? Was it something where you were doing any sort of mock interviews or was it something where you felt like you were ready just... You know, it's funny. Actually, a couple of them had me do a case. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them had me do it in the office where I had to go through and build out the model and then really? drop some stuff on the PowerPoint. That's surprising. That's surprising. Other people gave me like, pardon? That's surprising to me at that level that they're doing that, but okay. Mm. <laughs> it's also indicative of the culture. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Say it right. that way. Okay. Um, but they were also trying to make sure that they weren't getting the investment banking people who never really got comfortable with the models and just fair. kind of pushed everything down to the analyst. Okay, that's fair. They were trying to weed out that too, which I understand. And so you did fine. Um, no, I think for me it was it was talking about the deals that I had worked on. So it was for me going back through. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, I had a lot of a lot of different transactions to pick from. Um, but there's certainly some that stand out as being my favorite. And it generally had to do with the, the complexity of it, um, the joy of working with the client. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's 
can't say enough good things about some of the clients I had. They're awesome people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was focused on that and articulating, you know, what the complexities that were of the deal, how do we work through them, what was the outcome for the client, what was the role that I played. Um, and then the other piece of it just goes to, like you said, like knowing yourself and articulating as crisply as you can what's important to you and what do you want to do and where do you want to go. And, um, and then the last, the last piece of it is what questions do you want to ask them? Right. And interviews were usually split 50-50. And they really tried to make it a conversation. So if I hadn't done my homework it shows. and being thoughtful about yeah. what I'd already learned yeah. and their background, we can get caught flat-footed. Yeah, I always ask people, hey, you have any questions for us? And what they ask is, is past, you know, a big part of the interview. Because it tells you a lot in terms of the types of questions they're asking. It's um, you can learn a lot about the candidate. So, anything else you want? I didn't have any questions for you though. Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> um, do you have anything else before we call it? It's been really enjoyable conversation, much longer than the typical um, podcast. Anything else you'd like to share with the audience before any kind of piece of advice or wisdom before we call it? Yeah, I think there's there's two things that have. Um, as I look back on my career, there are two things that have been really important to me. One is you stick to your values and know that lots of times you think that everything is going to be purely black and white, but so much of it are shades of gray. And when you have that intuition that something doesn't seem right, or you're not really sure if you should be doing something, it is far better to ask for permission in a lot of those situations than it is to ask for forgiveness. Um, particularly the more senior you become in your career, it's incredibly important to be mindful of what, what the rules of the road are because they can be interpreted a lot of different ways. Um, I would say the second thing, particularly for those building their career, anything you can do to broaden your experience to give yourself a greater breadth and depth of knowledge and skill set and, you know, anything that continues to keep options open for you, I say do it. The, the the sooner you have to kind of start making choices and being a little bit more as, as a specialist, if you will, um, be very thoughtful about those choices. A lot of times coming out of business school, people either do consulting or investment banking. Very normal. Um, and I would say you go into those, using that as an example, same as as long as makes sense for you. And throughout that time period, in either one of those professional service type organizations take a lot of different kind of assignments and you'll start to really find what speaks to you and maybe therefore what you want to do in the next phase of your career. So keep your options open as long as you can. So generalist all the way early. (laughs) Specialize later. Unless you're like me and you figure out that you don't want to be a generalist in terms of being a general manager with business, then definitely specialize in finance. (laughs) Fair enough. We'll end it. We'll end it there. Um, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at WallStreetOasis.com. And until next time.